Welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast. Today, we're going back to my shelter days when I worked with cats. I am a cat person as much as a dog person, and cat welfare is near and dear to my heart. While we seem to be making huge strides with dog welfare and behavior, cats often take a back seat. This week, we're bringing them to the forefront and giving them the attention that they deserve. I am thrilled to have had the chance to sit down with Zazie Todd. Zazie loves nothing more than helping people with their pets. She is the creator of Companion Animal Psychology, an award-winning blog that shares the latest science about our animal companions and evidence-based ways to help them. Zazie has a PhD in psychology and an advanced certificate in feline behavior from International Cat Care. Her award-winning book about dog behavior, WAG, was featured in the New York Times, Slate, and People magazine. She lives in Maple Ridge, B.C. with her husband, a dog, and two cats. She has now released her new book, Purr, which we're talking about today. If you haven't read Woof and Purr, rush out and get both of these books today. Zazie writes about cats by merging both science and heartwarming stories, and I promise both books will change the way you see your pets. Thank you for having me to chat with you today. I was so excited when you invited me. I'm so excited to dive in. And, you know, before we before we started recording, we were chatting about, um, you know, just the the state of affairs for cats. And I think we've made when we when we look at the common animals in our home, we have obviously dogs and cats. And I think we all have seen such a huge change over the last, um, you know, couple of decades, especially for me over the last decade of how just in how we're training and teaching and working with our our dogs in our home but I think we often are forgetting cats along with that and I'm definitely excited to jump in about why that might be and why cats sometimes do take a bit of a backseat but there's so many reasons why they do require all of the same things that our dogs need and and this is where I can't wait to dive in and and get some more information from you one of the things when I started um, I read per a while ago but when when I knew I was going to be meeting with you, I thought, okay, I'm going to go back and I'll screenshot any of the pages that I that I want to touch on when we're talking. And honestly, I could have screenshotted every page. Each page is packed with so much information. Um, and the what I love about this book is that I think it's really really great for a lot of people who, um, even trainers and professionals, um, to get solid advice and information. Um, but also for the first time cat owner, there's so much information in there for everybody. Um, but right off the bat, when I was reading Purr, um, we've got Pam Johnson Bennett, who wrote a lovely introduction. And the first thing that Pam says in the introduction is that when she started her career in 1982, um, more people were focused on dog health and training than they were on cats. And that, you know, it was sort of a lonely career. And that was the first thing that struck me. And I think that's still very true today. Why do you think that that is the case? Why do you think that cats are still, and certainly we're making progress, but why do you think that cats are getting sort of this back seat compared to dogs? I think it is still the case, unfortunately, and there are fewer people who you can go to if you're having issues with your cat, but also there are few people who even know that they could go to someone if they're having issues with their cat. And I think people simply don't pay enough attention to cats. I think if you have a dog and something goes wrong and the dog bites you, then that's a situation in which people know that they need to do something. Whereas your cat is a little more tolerant, they're less likely to bite you. Um, Perhaps the issues that they have, people even feel more secure in just 
getting rid of the cat, rehoming the cat, for example, instead of thinking that perhaps they should be doing something about it. So I think it's really unfortunate that even in terms of science, there isn't as much feline science as there is canine science. Cats are still trying to, to catch up there. And it's funny because if you think about when the internet started, everyone said, oh, it's all about cats. But these days, not so much. It's much more dogs again. And obviously, dogs are wonderful. I love dogs as well, uh, just as much as I love cats. But people just aren't really paying enough attention to cats and to what they need to do for their cat. And it's a real shame for cats. And also, it's a shame for the cat guardians because they could get so much more out of their relationship with their cat if they put more into it. Yeah, wow. And it, one of the things that struck me when I was reading Purr was there are so many similarities between our cats and our dogs, even right down to cats having a sensitive period for socialization, which I think a lot of people don't, you know, I don't know that we're talking about that um, enough with puppies and with dogs. I know that many of us who are certified, we really are screaming this from the rooftops that we have, you know, the early experiences for our, our puppies matter, but I think even less likely, you know, even in shelter, when I was working in shelter, a lot of people aren't even, weren't even really talking about it for kittens, but we see the same thing with puppies, um, that we do with kittens, um, the need for vet care. So this is another one that, um, when I was reading per, I was, I, if I had could have gotten up on the rooftops and shouted this from the rooftops, I was so thrilled that you talk about it so much, but the need for vet care, um, it, I was surprised by some of the statistics in per about, um, the difference between how many dogs are going to the vet on a regular basis or within the last year compared to how many cats, um, and how we train. That's very similar as well, that they learn using the same, we can use the same, um, you know, training technique techniques and things like that with our cats that we do with our dogs. But many people don't think about that. Then I started thinking about like going into some of the big pet stores and we see lots of cat food, lots of dog food. But then when we start to see things like harnesses and you know um different training things and options for dogs it really starts to outweigh what's available for cats do you find that that cats are you know that we think about them as needing more basic care in terms of even enrichment or uh, veterinary care yes i think so and sometimes you see surveys about the number of cats who go to the vet and there are always some cats who've never even been to the vet um that's how bad it is um and i think that's really unfortunate that cats are just missing out on really quite basic things and of course with the vet one of the issues is because people will find it difficult to take their cat to the vet but there's so much they can do about that because you can train your cat to go to the vet um, and it really helps and research has shown that it helps. And that's why I've got a training plan for teaching your cat to like their cat carrier in the back of Purr because it makes such a big difference. Um, and really, I, it's just a shame. And there are so many stereotypes about cats that are actually quite negative. And it's as if even people who love cats somehow believe some of those stereotypes, unfortunately. Um, and so I think that's just a real shame. And it's hard to help people understand that they need to do more. They do need to make sure they can take their cat to the vet. They do need to provide enrichment. And there are so many different welfare issues that you could pick, on, pick up on for pet cats. And yeah, it's just really unfortunate. And so that's partly why I wrote Purr, because I wanted people to understand that there are so many things that they can do. 
And that's why at the end of every chapter, I have something about how you can apply the science at home and, and the checklist for a happy cat at the end of it. So I'm trying to give people lots of practical tips because there are so many easy things that people can do that actually will make a big, big difference to how happy their cat is. And if their cat is having their needs met, then they're going to be much happier. They're going to be less likely to have behavior issues and they're going to have a better relationship with you and there's so much that people can do and most people just aren't thinking of it unfortunately. I've certainly heard that with cats. I think, you know, anybody who works with cats or with dogs, you know, we hear friends and family and people talking about, you know, um, what they're dealing with, with their own pet. And many times I've heard, I can't take my cat to the vet because um, I can't get them there because they're afraid because it just wouldn't be fair because they would, you know, it would be too overwhelming for them. But I think what people are missing is that, the leaving some of these issues and you talk about them in per we talk you talk about um dental issues um all of the behaviors that can come from things like uh urinary tract issues um uh, weight and diet issues and things like this that we see with cats um those things over the long term they are causing more harm than training a cat, getting a cat in the, in the carrier, um, even maybe asking the veterinarian for um, medication that could be given prior to taking them to the vet, all of these things. Um, but th those things that the cats are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis are, I think, far more detrimental than just getting the cat to the vet. Is, would you say that that's accurate or? Yes, I would agree with that. And um Nothing makes me sadder than when someone tells me that they know their cat hates them because the cat has been peeing on their shoes or on their bed or something like that. And anytime a cat has house-soiling issues, it's really, really important to take them to the vet because they could well have a medical issue that's the underlying cause. Um, and it's really important to resolve that as if not your cat is suffering, basically. But unfortunately, sometimes people aren't, just aren't aware of that and it, they don't think they need to take the cat to the vet Um and that's a really difficult issue for that cat because then they're not getting treatment for whatever issue is wrong with them. And also they're probably also then being treated differently by their guardian too, who's going to be quite fed up with this cat <laughs> for making a mess in the home. Um, so that's really unfortunate when that happens. And as well as training your cat to go in the carrier, in a way we're lucky because one of the things that has changed over the years is that now there are cat-friendly practices and there are fear-free vets and fear-free practices, all of which will help to reduce the amount of stress that your cat is experiencing when they go to the vet and makes it much, much easier. And as you just alluded to, there are also medications that your vet can prescribe to help make the vet visit easier as well. And that does make a difference. And so, I mean, in a way, although it's depressing to think about, it's it's also cheerful to realise that these things are happening and there are positive changes that are making a difference to the lives of cats too. And it's definitely one one of those things that I saw where it's very similar to the work that we do with dogs in that I think we sometimes forget when we have dogs and cats in our home that some of the behaviors that we're seeing that seem like they're solely behaviors are actually symptoms of a medical issue. And cats, you outline this so well in Per that cats have so many of these, these, you know, it could be dental issues, but urinary issues is one of the most common. I know we saw this in shelter very often where cats were surrendered for inappropriate urination in the home. And I understand, you know, nobody wants to have pee um, and sometimes even poo, um, you know, in the beds, in the laundry piles, in the laundry basket and things like that. Um, but very often, in fact, I can only think of one cat off the top of my head that had 
no medical issue underlying that the urinate, the urination in the home was strictly behavior. The rest of those cats were, um, easily resolved with food, with medication, um, with even just how we set up their environment and relieve some of the stress. Um, but I, I feel like that's one of those, those things that is so common with both dogs and cats that it doesn't have to, it doesn't always just go back to behavior that sometimes medical is an underlying cause. Yes, and it's something that vets have a much better understanding of these days of the role of pain and medical issues in behaviour. And another thing might be to, if a cat is a senior cat, they might be showing signs of pain due to arthritis, for example. And that could manifest itself in behaviour in terms of perhaps the cat no longer going to some of the places in the home that they used to visit that are high up or being reluctant to jump off things. But it also could manifest in the cat being quite grumpy around people and it would be because they're in pain. So again, I mean, I'm not a vet, but that's why if there is a sudden change in behavior, then that's why you need to go to your vet and get things checked out and have a, a thorough checkup and see if there is something that can be done there. Because especially if it's pain, no matter what amount of work you do to try to resolve the behavior issue, if it's pain, you you, you need something that will resolve the pain. And that's the thing that that's the place where something needs to happen. <laughs> The other thing that I found fascinating, and this is something that I think a lot of people haven't believed me when I've told them in the past, um, and one one area where dogs and cats might be different is that cats, we think about them as like our little predators. They live in our home, they catch mice, they catch birds, you know, they act like little tigers or little lions, but they actually are also prey animals and that they are preyed upon by bigger predators. And with that, we get some behaviors that we don't see um, from an animal who is just a predator. And that is that sometimes they're not great at showing us pain. They may not show us in the same way that we think pain is going to come across. Um, and they like to hide and they like to to really, you know, keep their their cards close to their chest as in a matter of speaking. Um, and that is something that I think is so fascinating. Dr. Sung talks in your book about that. Um, but it is something that I'm so glad that you talked about because I really think people forget sometimes that these cats also have behaviors that would have kept them safe um, out in the real world. Is that, do you find that that's something that we often forget that these guys are also preyed upon as well as that they are such good predators? Yeah, because we're used to thinking of cats as being creatures who catch birds or mice or rats or rabbits or whatever they happen to prey upon. Mainly it would be mice, of course. Um, and we don't think so much about how other animals would prey upon them. And of course, here in North America, well, where I live, um, coyotes are quite a big issue. But we also have cougars um, and bobcat, who I think would be competing with cats cats as well. So there are a lot of bigger animals who could be a threat to a cat. And one of the things that surprised me that I learned when I was writing about purr was to do with coyotes and cats, which is that it's not just that coyotes will sometimes catch cats for food, but in fact, especially during pupping season, coyotes seem to sometimes kill cats, not in order to eat them, but because they see the cats as competition for prey. Um, and that's from some of the research on cats and coyotes has looked at when, unfortunately, coyote scat contains elements that show that the coyote has eaten cats, but it, it, they may still actually kill cats without without actually wanting to eat them, especially at a time of year when they themselves are trying to catch a lot of prey. 
And that was a bit of a, a shock to me. And this is largely why I keep my own cats indoors um, and as indoors only because it would not be safe where I live to let them go outside, unfortunately. So cats have evolved as a species that is prey as well as a predator. And so, like you say, they'd like to have somewhere to hide. Their response to stress is to run and hide. Usually they're not going to come forward and be aggressive. They would prefer to run and hide. And that's why it's so important for us to provide cats with hiding spaces in our home. And a good hiding space is something that's ideally it's going to be the size of the cat. So it's just a perfect fit for the cat. Hopefully it's going to be nice and warm and cozy as well. And so cats usually find their own places. Like um, my cat Melina likes to hide in my laundry basket where I've got my laundry that's waiting to be ironed. She kind of burrows in amongst the clothes. Um, if you have cat condos, they typically also have a place in inside them where the cat can go and hide. And from the cat's perspective, it seems to be enough that their head is hidden. So that's where you get these times where the cat has gone under the bed and they're hiding, but you can see their tail sticking out. As far as the cat is concerned, they're hidden. And this is what they like to do in response to stressful events and it's so important not just that we provide these spaces but also that we allow cats to use them like if you have someone come to your home and your cat is a bit scared of having a new person there and they run and hide you should let them hide instead of forcing them to come out and meet the person and they probably will come out in their own time anyway and they'll certainly come out much more quickly if you just let them stay there and hide instead of trying to force them out well and what i loved in purr and i think i've actually written it here in my notes is when you were talking about providing hiding places for cats, you said it was a basic need. That's how important it was that it's not, you know, a fancy enrichment. It's not over the top. It's not something like, you know, it's not the, the, the one of these things that we can do for our cats that is like over the top. It really is a basic need. And it comes from this desire to be able to hide. I, I remember at the SPCA, we were trapping cats where we had an organization that was trapping cats for us for, um, uh, a TNR program or trap neuter release program that we were doing. These cats were feral cats. So wild cats who had never been handled by people. Um, you know, they, they are, they look just like our domestic cats, but you certainly wouldn't be able to get up and, and touch them or pet them. Um, and the, when they were trapping them, they said, that as soon as the eagles would start flying for the day, that was it. They couldn't, the cats were gone. And that was because the cats had really learned how to avoid being out when the predators were around. And I think we forget that sometimes that these guys are living in our homes, but they're still coming with all of this, um, you know, these safety mechanisms and hiding is just one of those basic principles. Um, and I love that you mentioned it in purr. So cute. And this, we know that partly because there was some research with shelter cats that put them in something called a choice chamber. And it had little chambers going off it to which they could go to find a nice toy or a nice perching place or a hiding place. And they chose to spend most of their time in the space with the hiding place. And that's one of the studies that tells us that this is actually a need rather than enrichment. And it's actually something that's really easy to provide because who doesn't have a cardboard box to hand from time to time? All you need to do is give your cat that cardboard box. It could be the right way up or you could turn it the other way up and cut a hole in it to make a door for your cat. And and also we see that in the shelters when they use the high perch and and go it's basically a cardboard box with a perching space on the top and a hiding space underneath and having that space for cats to hide in the shelters helps them to feel much more secure and it's much much better for the cats and I believe the BCSPCA won an award for developing that and it makes such a big difference to give the cats a hiding place it's just so important and so easy to do. 
Yeah. So the, for those who aren't familiar, the Hide Perch and Go box is literally a cardboard box. It has two components. Uh, one piece sits on top of the other piece. So um, the cat can go in and hide in the box area. They can also jump up and sleep on the top area if they want to, because they, like you said, they do like height. Um, the other cool thing about it, though, is that it transforms into a carrier um, so that when that cat is going home, they get to go home and make that transition with something that is familiar to them. Um, and before I left the BCSPCA, one thing that they had started to do was um, when we saw cats being transferred from one location to another. In the past, we used to just throw out the high perch and go and we would just get a clean one and set up a clean one when they got to their location. Um, now what they do is they transfer the cat with their own box so that when they when they land in the receiving branch, they have something from that is familiar. It has their bedding in it and it would have, um, you know, their own smells and things like that. So it's, it's something familiar and it just is a little thing that makes a huge difference for these cats. So, um, Anyone who's adopted from the BCSPCA has probably walked home with one of those box boxes and not realized the science that went into making it, which is really, it's kind of cool what happens behind closed doors. Um, we're going to play a little game and that is we're going to each pick our top three um, things that we would want to see change for cats. Or if somebody was going to do something for their cat today and they were going to pick three things, um, what three things would we want? I have a feeling some of them will overlap um, and uh, and maybe not, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to play because um, I'm a cat nerd. I think you're kind of a cat nerd. And so I'm dying to see what, what we each pick. So um, I'll go first. I'll pick my number one thing that I would hope that um, cats received if just as a starting point today. And my number one thing is, um, is veterinary care. And so when we were in the shelter, a lot of cats that were surrendered, um, when we would get their medical history, they had never been to a vet. Many of them, if the owner thought that they were fully vaccinated, when we went to get vaccine records, there was maybe the first set of shots, but nothing that had followed. Um, most of the cats, and this is um, not you know, not studied, but I can tell you anecdotally that most of the cats over the age of eight required some level of den dental care when we got them into, into care. Um, some, some of that was mild, so like tartar buildup, but some of it was quite severe um, and we needed extractions and things like that as well. Um, one thing that was very common was um, cats who were suffering from something like um, thyroid or kidney disease in their older age, um, but that it had never received vet care because um, the owner thought that the cat just being skinny and kind of in that condition was just part of old age. Um, and then, of course, you know, not to leave out urinary issues. That was something that we saw more often than I care to to tell you or, you know, I cannot tell you how many times we saw cats with the urinary issues. So um, I would my number one is going to be veterinary care um, with uh, with an annual exam as being the bare minimum that we can do for our cats. What do you think of my number one pick? <laughs> I think that's a great pick. It's such an important issue. There's some research from Dr. Zoe Belshaw at the University of Nottingham about what pet guardians expect to get from the annual veterinary exam. And it turns out that some of them actually don't expect to get very much. They just think it's about the vaccinations and they don't realize all the things that a vet might notice when they're looking at their pet, which includes some of those things you mentioned, like dental issues. Um, which often are not noticed by the person because you don't often look inside your cat's mouth. And cats, as we mentioned, are so 
good at hiding signs of pain, but also it might include things to do with overweight and obesity. That was another thing she found that the vet said was really important to check, but which guardians didn't seem to be so very aware of. So there are lots of things that um, will be potentially found at that. And the other thing, of course, is that if your cat does have a medical issue, it's so much better to deal with it early instead of waiting until it's got worse and worse. So I, I think that's a great choice and it's such an important thing. Amazing. Good. I feel, uh, I feel I'm, I'm excited that I picked, um, that I picked one that you agree with. So what is your number one pick? So my number one is to do with the house not being set up or the home not being set up right for the cat and actually in Purr I talk about some research where a group of feline experts were asked about what they thought were the main welfare issues for pet cats and this was the one that came out as the number one from that and I think it's because people don't do enough to set their house up for their cat and therefore their cat is feeling stressed in the home and there is no way that they can potentially escape from that and find a better environment if they're an indoors only cat. So if if someone isn't doing the right things for them, the cat is stuck there potentially for their whole life without these things being fixed. So we talked about hiding spaces and that would have been what would be one of the important things to provide. And there's a handy set of rules called the five pillars of a healthy feline environment that people can follow. And that will help them to get set up in the home. And it includes having multiple resources for the cats, especially in a multiple cat home, because you don't want to have one cat blocking another cat's access to something like food or water or the litter box. And it's just so important that people actually think about their home from the cat's point of view. And we're not talking about things that are unrealistic. Like you see wonderful pictures on social media sometimes of cats where they've got walkways all over the house and little doors through to other rooms and things. And yes, it would be wonderful if we could all do that. But you don't need to do that to make your home right for the your cat actually it's probably just a set of very easy things to do that involves thinking a bit more about how your cat is using the home and how they're going to feel safe in the home I love that one and I'm jealous that I didn't pick it and what I like about it is that at the shelter we often had when we would do our best to rotate cats onto the floor and give them time out of cages um, or have them avoid a cage altogether. But when they had to be in a cage or in a kennel, um, we were making sure that the kennel was set up properly for them. So they always had to have a place to hide. Um, and they always had to have even small things that we don't think about. They had to have three inches, at least three inches of bedding, because in studies it shows that cats sleep better when they have at least three inches of bedding. We had to have a scratch post in there for them. And we actually had special ones that just attached to the side of the kennel. Um, the food, and the water had to be um, as far away from the litter pan as possible and the same with the, the sleeping space. Um, and we had to provide at least 11 square feet of space per cat, um, which is certainly different from how you would see it in some municipal pounds um, or how we used to house cats even a decade ago when we we weren't keeping them in you know, maybe the the proper setup. Um, but that was just in a small kennel. And I think there is this misconception that if we bring a cat home and just put them into a bigger space, um, that all will fall into play and all, all will fall into place. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes these cats also need to make sure that they have their needs met even in a bigger space and outside of that 11 square feet. So I love that one. That's fantastic. Thank all you. right. 
My number two is enrichment. So, um, you know, this is very, very simple. But and we do this, I think, you know, we, we've got whole accounts set up to um, per, how to provide enrichment for dogs. And I think as trainers or behavior consultants, I would say almost every um, client call that I go into, I'm talking about enrichment for dogs, um, you know, making sure that they're eating out of puzzle toys or, you know, just simple things like that. But we don't talk about it as much with our cats. But if we look at our cats, they really are, you know, they, they, they would go hunting, um, they may not find prey every time, um, they get to go out and explore and interact with their environment and do all of these things. But in a home, they might not have that, that opportunity. Um, in the shelter, we tried to feed our cats out of puzzle toys as well, or out of, um, you know, slow feeders and things like that to give them a little bit of, of, uh, of enrichment. Um, but it is something that I would hope that every cat is having access to every day, just like our dogs. Um, what do you think about enrichment as a number two choice? I think enrichment is so important and especially making time to play with your cat because we know that cats need to be have opportunities to engage in normal behaviors which would include the chance to do parts of the predatory sequence which is chasing a, a one toy for example it's just using exactly the same behaviors as if they were chasing a mouse and we know that when people make more time to play with their cat, then their cat is less likely to have behavior issues. And also, I think a lot of cats are probably very, very bored because they don't have enough enrichment. And there are lots of other ways to provide enrichment too, like um, center enrichment, the use of um, toys with catnip or silver vine or um, valerian or honeysuckle, which are other substances that cats respond to in ways similar to how they respond to catnip. Um, and also just ways of bringing sense in from outside and giving your cat the choice to interact with them or simply having a window open so they can go and sniff the breeze if they want to. There are so many things you can do to provide enrichment for your cat and it really makes cats' lives much, much better when they have those opportunities. Yeah, it's so important. And I like that in Peru. I really enjoyed the part about catnip because... Um again, it's, there's more to it than I think we think about and, you know, who, which cats like catnip and which ones don't and what other, wh how that even came to be. That's just, it's fascinating to me because again, we just go to the store and we buy catnip toys, bring them home. We don't think about some of these other little, little bits and pieces to it. And I thought that was really, really cool. All right. What is Azzy's number two? My number two, in a way, it relates to yours. So my number two is that people think cats are easy pets. And because they think they're easy pets, they're not providing enrichment and they're not learning about cat behavior and other things that would help them make their cat happier. So I think because in part because people are familiar with cats, they've seen them for a long time, but also because of how even if someone hasn't grown up with a cat, we have this societal belief that dogs are more difficult pets and if you don't want such a difficult pet then you should get a cat and in many ways cats don't require you to be at home as much as a dog would they don't mind if you go out to work but they do still need things from you and I think because people think cats are easy pets they're not providing those things that the cat needs so they don't go into the relationship with a cat thinking that they need to provide enrichment for them um, or they need to set their home up right and also not thinking that they need to learn more about cats and when you are a cat nerd like us I mean yeah. there are so many cool things that you can learn about cats and I just wish more people would would realize that and think about it and want to learn more about their cat 
Yeah, isn't that fascinating? And I didn't really think about that about, you know, there is, I think this concept that they're easy, or that they're more independent, or that, you know, they don't they dogs, I think we see as needing us, whereas cats, we see as, you know, they're they're just fine without us that if you know, something happened to us that tomorrow our cat wouldn't care that they would be just fine, whereas our dog would be heartbroken and, you know, pining for us. Um, but that's really not the case. And we certainly see that with other animals as well. I know in the shelter, many people would come in wanting to adopt a rabbit because rabbits were considered easy. Um, but boy, rabbits are one of the most complicated pets. I would not want to take care of one because they're so complicated. So um, I guess it's that misconception that um, you know, that maybe that the, 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 if they're more aloof or they seem more independent, um, that they're easier, but that's really not the case from what it yeah. sounds like. And you said you, you, this, you mentioned this idea that people think their cat won't care if something happens to them, but we do know that cats like to spend time with their person. They greet their person in a different way when they've been gone for longer. So they're sensitive to the amount of time that you've been gone and you get a, a more enthusiastic greeting when you've been gone for a long time. And we know from some of the research on the pandemic about cat, how cats behaved when people were working from home when they didn't normally do so, that in general, it seems that cats liked this and they liked having people around more and people said their cat was less likely to have a behavior issue. So. The changes that people reported in their cats, if they noticed a change, it was overwhelmingly a positive change from having their person around more. So I think cats do want more from us, um, but people, so many people just don't realize. Well, in a long, now this is a little bit of a, I'm going to go off topic just a bit, but um, one of the things that you do talk about in Purr is how people even pet their cats. And when we're interacting with them, the way in which we interact with them. Um, and so for anyone listening, I highly recommend reading about that. Just write down to like some of the things we've studied about cats, the way that they like to be touched, where they like to be touched, um, and reading some of the subtle body language um, that they're giving us can tell us a lot about how they do want to interact with us. So I loved that part mostly because um, I have seen um, recently there's been a thread on TikTok um, video showing up of someone who adopted a cat and she loves the cat and it's her always holding the cat like a baby and she's kind of skipping around and holding the cat and the cat, all of the body language, unfortunately, I read as being unhappy. The cat is not not thrilled about the way that it's being handled, um, but it's tolerating it. But just because the cat is tolerating it and not lashing out doesn't necessarily mean that that cat is enjoying that interaction. Um, and uh, But it's hard to kind of sell that, right? Because the cat, it seems like the cat must love it because she's not She's not lashing out. So um, further to that, your cat wants to spend time with you. Your cat likes to be around you. Um, and then let's do consent tests, which you talk about also in the book, um, and make sure that the cat is enjoying how we're touching them and handling them. All right. My number three is going to be, and I think this is going to be an unpopular one for some people because this is a hard one, especially when your cat has been an outdoor cat. Um, but I love the concept of indoor only. Um, and you do, you talk about this, um, in the book and you talk about indoor outdoor cats. Um, but I've seen the aftermath of what happens with a lot of cats who are kept as outdoor cats, um, or outdoor indoor. We know their lifespan is, um, very different than those who are kept inside. You know, they're subject to a lot of things that are, 
Um, the indoor only cats are not. Um, but my number one plea is going to be um, indoor only for senior cats. And so um, at the shelter, the amount of senior cats that were brought into care as strays, um, and there was huge influxes when there was heat waves and when there was um, this first cold snap of the season. And it was because a lot of those cats couldn't, um, they were seniors, they did have lower you know, maybe their body condition wasn't what it once was. Um, and they couldn't sort of protect themselves or they they weren't as resilient, um, against the, the cold or the, the heat, you know, as their younger counterparts. Um, and so my ask would be that senior cats get to retire inside and, or maybe retire inside with a catio. Uh, what do you think about my number three? <laughs> Well, like you said, it's quite a controversial topic and it's one of those things on which people seem to have really strong opinions. So there are people who think that all cats should be kept indoors and you're talking only about senior cats, especially here. But some people think all cats should be indoors. And especially in the UK and Europe, people are more likely to think that all cats should have access access to the outdoors um my younger self would be horrified to think that at some point in future as in now I would have cats that are indoors only but that's because it's the only way to keep my cats safe where I live and I think for everyone they need to decide what's right for their cat but we know that busy roads in particular are a huge threat to cats a lot of cats get hit by cars and that's incredibly sad to see we've already talked about um coyotes and predators predating on cats um, and also cats, some cats find being outdoors very very stressful especially if they live somewhere where lots of people have cats which are allowed outdoors and some of the research shows that cats will kind of timeshare their own garden even if they live somewhere where there are other cats because they don't want to meet the other cats so they'll have set times at which they go outside and set times at which they're inside and when they're inside will be the times when other neighborhood cats will come through. So they're carefully avoiding each other, which I think is quite interesting as well. And there's actually a piece of research that found that when cats had an enclosed catio in their yard, so they could go outside, but they couldn't leave the catio and also other cats couldn't get into it, they were less stressed. It seemed to be much better for them than actually having free access outdoors. So, I mean, I think it's one of those things everyone has to decide for their own cat but when you're looking at a senior cat yes they're more at risk outside they find fluctuations in temperature more difficult to deal with as well so I think people need to look very very carefully about their own situation and what's right for their particular cat and I go into some of the arguments on this in per either way as to what you should think about for deciding what's right for your cat but senior cats especially they need they need a bit of extra care. And I agree I mean if we had you know, in a perfect world, if everybody could have some of these elaborate catios that we see, you know, on social media, they're, they're fantastic. Um, but there's sometimes even options. I've even seen some, um, people who build little tiny versions of them out of Ikea shelves with screens and things like that. Um, and I know it's not, um, it's not something that everybody is ready to jump into having, especially for cats that pester you to go outside, um, and things like that. Um, so that's why I'm going to, I'm going to try and meet in the middle and say, let's have cat senior cats inside. <laughs> All righty. What is your top? What is your number three? I don't know if I'm going slightly off topic here because my number three is not for the dedicated cat guardian and what they're not doing. It's a more general societal thing. And it's to do with cat hoarding. It's that I think we need to have something 
um, done about cat hoarding because cats are the most commonly hoarded animal. And when you've seen the state of cats who come in from those homes, it's it's terribly detrimental to their health and welfare. So I think finding better ways of dealing with cat hoarding and becoming aware of it is something that I think for cats overall as a species is is really important. And there is actually some good news from this, I think, because I know that I've been following the BCSPCA and some of the research that they've done in looking at how to help hoarded cats become adoptable. So hoarded cats come from a house in which there are more cats than the person can properly take care of. Often that person has psychological issues. They think that they are the one, who, the only one who can take care of those pets and they don't realise the harm that they're causing to those pets. And they can be quite horrible situations full of faeces and urine and everywhere and far too many cats to get on with each other. And also they haven't been socialised during the sensitive period for socialisation as a kitten. So they're not set up to become pets they're not used to a normal home environment because they're only used to this horrible environment the good news from the bcspca is they've done some research on ways in which these cats can be helped to become adoptable more quickly including the use of desensitization and counter conditioning protocols and the use of medication and they found really amazing results from it in terms of that speeding the length of time in which um, the cat becomes adoptable it makes it happen much much more quickly so that's a really positive thing about it but hoarding is a difficult problem to solve um, both from the point of view of any shelter or rescue that's taking them in but also from a psychological perspective of helping the person who unintentionally is causing great harm to these cats so that's why I've picked that as, as my third most important issue it's probably not what you were expecting or looking for but <laughs> well to be honest I appreciate it and um I think it I you know boy it could probably be an entire podcast episode just about these cats because I've certainly worked with a lot of cats from hoarding situations um and everything that you're saying about them is definitely what I've experienced in working with them um and you know and the, the thing that I also like about what you're saying is that we also need to provide assistance to the people who are hoarding this this is something that, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it really needs to be addressed by professionals to help that person so that the, the cycle doesn't continue. Um, and this is why I really recommend that people reach out to the BCSPCA when there is uh, suspected hoarding or something that is going on. Maybe it's, you know, an aunt or a friend or a neighbor or someone that, you know, you've seen this behavior come from and you're worried about it. Um, but reaching out to the BCSPCA, because not only are they helping the cats in those situations, um, but they also will make sure that there's um, help set up for as best as they can for the 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 owner as well or for the person who's who's got the cats and and if we don't do that the cycle will likely just continue um but yes it's um you know certainly if you've ever been like me and you've had 30 cats show up at your shelter um from a hoarding situation the the definitely i mean some of these cats some of the older ones would sometimes be social because they were around when there was less cats um but as we get down to the younger ones i mean in reality some of those cats had never even been handled before by the guardian or by the person taking care of them and so um you know that is there's a lot to overcome there for that cat to get ready for adoption 
And it's tragic because that cat in any other circumstance, we talk about this, you know, sensitive period of social for socialization. Um, this is where, you know, nature versus nurture that cat, if we had been able to raise that cat in, you know, the average home, it likely wouldn't have turned out that way. Um, and some of those things, we definitely see a turnaround, but some of those things that cat might deal with the fallout for the rest of, of their lives as well. Um, there's actually, I'll, I'll, if I remember, I will on the podcast episode, I'll link the paper. Um, but the information that's come out from the BCSPCA around this. So, um, you know, for, for the cat nerds like us, um, that is out there for to read. And so it's not what I was expecting, but certainly if you come from a welfare background and shelter background, like I do, um, I appreciate that as your, as your third answer, because it is something that I think, again, behind closed doors, people don't realize just how much this is happening um, and how many cats, you know, when you go on to the BCSPCA website and you look and you see cats that are available for adoption, what you don't see is all of the work that went into making them adoptable or all of the cats that might be in care at that moment who are going through exactly what we're talking about right now. So um, love it. Excellent. We didn't have any crossover, I don't think, which is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll just say, when I was writing for her, I spoke to Dr. Karen Van Haften, who was one of the people involved in that work. She's an incredible veterinary behaviorist. And she gave me some tips for bringing that kind of cat into your home. So if you're adopting that kind of cat from the BCSPCA or from another shelter, she gave me some tips about how to have slow, gradual introductions and how to learn how to do the, the kinds of things that would help that cat continue to do well and to settle in in your home. So I don't want to discourage people from adopting that sort of cat. They can become wonderful, wonderful pets. And by the time they get to being adoptable, you know, a lot of work has been done to, to help that that cat. And maybe also we should say something more about the sensitive period for socialization in kittens, because we've mentioned it a few yes. times. And this In kittens, this is from the period of two until the end of seven weeks. Um, compared to puppies where it's three until about 12 to 14 weeks. So for kittens, they're still in the home of the breeder at this point. And this is when they need to have a wide range of positive experiences that will help them learn what they need to know in order to become a friendly, confident adult cat. And we know that those early experiences make a big difference. But that happens before they come to your home because they're going to come to you at 8, 12 or maybe even 16 weeks, depending where they come from. It's still important when the kitten comes into your home to think of building on that. So to still give your cat, your kitten, uh, a wide range of positive experiences to help them to kind of build on what they've already learned because their brain is still plastic and they are still learning things. So even though you've, you've missed that sensitive period, hopefully you'll have asked the breeder about what they've done to help the kitten. But you should think of building on that as well and trying to help your kitten learn all, all the things that they need to know and to be comfortable in all the situations they're going to have as an adult cat as well. And it, it really can help that cat become more friendly and more confident. That's fantastic. And I think, again, I'm, I love that we're even talking about this because it's something that we do talk about with puppies and not so much with kittens. Um, and certainly something that we thought about a lot in shelter when we had kittens that would come to us, a litter that would come, um, you know, maybe the mom was even pregnant when she came in or the kittens were a week or two weeks old. We wanted them to be raised in a foster home where they were getting these positive experiences. And we wanted to make sure that happened. Um, and sometimes that didn't happen. We would see 
you know, cats who would, would come from barn, you know, settings, or they would come from, um, somebody would find them in a shed maybe at six, seven weeks old and they hadn't been handled. Um, and certainly those kittens are presenting in care differently than, you know, the kittens that came from a foster home or from a breeder. Um, and so I love that we're talking about that. And, you know, those are all things, if you're, Hey, if you're interested, you could even reach out to your local shelter and talk to them about becoming a foster home. Um, it is something that I will just as a little public service announcement say that um, for a lot of these shelters, the engagement has dropped a lot since, you know, the uh, the the height of when the pandemic hit, everybody was adopting, everybody was fostering. Um, and a lot of that has waned, but those cats and those kittens and those puppies and, and dogs are still there. So if any of this strikes your fancy, you could even become a, a foster home and, and have these positive, this positive um, interaction with the kittens and help set them up for a lifetime of success. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's a great thing for people to do. And I have to say, unfortunately, I no longer volunteer at my local shelter, but I did do for a long time, actually in the shelter, not as a foster. And it was incredibly rewarding. And I learned such a lot from it. And I loved all of the interactions with the animals. And it makes such a big difference to have those volunteers go and spend time with them. So I think it's a fantastic thing for people to do. And I, I, I highly recommend it to people. Well, Zazie, we talked about the sensitive period right up to keeping your elderly cat inside as my number, my number three. Um, so we covered, you know, as I think as best we could in a short period of time, um, sort of the lifetime of the cat. Um, did we do what we set out to accomplish? <laughs> did we, did, do you think we made uh, the world a better place for cats today? I really hope we did. I hope so. I think we've given lots of tips that people can use. So I, I really hope so. Yes. And I will say to, um, you know, anyone who has a cat at home per uh, it's per the science of making your cat happy. Um, this book really is, I found it written in such a way that it wasn't, you know, of course I'm a cat nerd. We've talked about that. We get that. Um, but per really is written in a way that isn't, it's not, it's science, but it's presented in a way that's not dull or boring or dry. So I really encourage you, if you have a cat home, please go out and get per, um, you know, just little subtle things that you can do that would make a huge difference for your cat. Um, so Zazie, thank you so much for meeting with me today and for talking about all things cats. It's been a it's Thank been a you blast. for having me. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wild at Heart podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Wild at Heart Dogs, online at wildatheartdogs.com. I work primarily with herding breed dogs struggling with breed behaviors and reactivity, and I have a complete lineup of webinars, classes, and private virtual training options for clients. Artwork for the podcast was by the talented Ethan Beaudry, theme music by Adam Percy, and inspired by Griff, our border collie. Sound editing and post-production was by Secret Clubhouse Sound on Denman Island. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and if you like the show, subscribe and follow and leave a review. If you have a guest you'd like to suggest, please reach out to me at wildatheartdogs at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.